Well, I am excited to be here with you this morning because I get to talk to you about your life mission. And I want to share a principle with you that I think could set you free and really make you effective in your life mission. But first, and it is so cool to be here. So I uh, became a Christian out of a completely non-Christian background when I was 20. And at that time, I was planning on going to law school. And I did at the University of Illinois. And when I attended there, I attended First Christian. So it was a different building, very different music style, but it's so cool to be back here after all these years. It's really exciting for me. So in the middle of law school, I transferred to seminary, and it was because I wanted to spend as much of my time as possible on my life mission, your life mission. Because if you believe in Jesus, your life mission is to help other people believe in Jesus. And Jesus made that clear over and over and over. If we believe in Jesus, our mission is to help other people believe in Jesus. And that mission led me to leave law school, to go to seminary, and then to start a church back in 1998 in Virginia Beach, Virginia, and then another in 2010 uh, in the center of Sin City just off the Las Vegas Strip. And I thought I'd tell you about a few of the people I've met uh, along that journey, all people who uh, did not believe in Jesus, had no interest in God or church. Uh, there's Travis. Uh, Travis moved to Las Vegas from New York City to make money. He was a professional photographer, quickly became the photographer for a bunch of Las Vegas' nightclubs and then strip clubs and then strippers. And then he became a pimp for a bunch of the strippers, started sleeping with them. His wife found out, left him with their two kids. Uh, then there's Katie. Uh, Katie was prostituting herself to get money to support her drug addiction. Uh, there's Dallas. Dallas was a guy who was uh, in upper middle management at General Electric, making a plush six-figure salary. Looked very respectable, but what you wouldn't have seen is that he was addicted to alcohol and pornography and was abusive to his family. Uh, there's Paul. Paul was studying Eastern religions. The only conclusion he had come to was he was sure that reincarnation was real. As Mary, Mary was a pro-choice activist. Uh, Alexis, who was a lesbian. Uh, Michelle was a bisexual who, when she got married to her husband, agreed with him. They made an agreement that she would no longer sleep with other men, but she could continue sleeping with other women. And then Warren. Warren was a hardcore atheist who uh, worked as a fire-breathing evil clown at a horror show in Las Vegas. Like for a living, he scares and intimidates and curses people out. And his plan when he heard about this new church that we were starting in Las Vegas was to destroy the church. He thought he could do that by showing up at one of our first services. And when the, the preacher got up to speak, he would stand up in the middle of the auditorium, start screaming out curse words, throw things, punch a few people. And, and he thought, if, if I make the experience bad enough and abusive enough, no one will come back, the church will die. So eight unique people, eight unique stories, but the one thing they all had in common was their disdain for Christians and for the church. And if we believe in Jesus, our mission is to help them believe in Jesus. That is your mission. That's the church's mission. So, uh, questions. Uh, how do we get ourselves to engage in that mission? Because the truth is, most Christians don't. Probably a lot of us are not. 
And how do we make ourselves more effective in that mission? Because maybe right now, maybe we're not. And how do we do our mission in a way that doesn't freak out the people we're trying to reach? So I want to say what I think is the answer to all those questions. And it is a powerful principle that I think can set you free. And, uh, and our, if you're ready for it, I'm just going to share it. You ready for it? So here it is. Lead with love. Lead with love. So I think there are two things every person needs. Every person needs truth and every person needs love. Like we need truth to know how to do life right and and we need to feel loved. And there are two things that every Christian has to offer. Just really two things. We, We have truth and we have love. It's a perfect fit, right? The Bible says in the Ephesians 4.15, Ephesians 4.15, it says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. So everyone needs truth. Everyone needs love. What we have to offer is truth and love. We need to speak the truth in love. And I think the fear that a lot of us have about sharing Jesus with people uh, comes because we think of it as just trying to convince people of our truth. They don't believe our truth. I need to convince them of my truth. And we're not effective in it because we approach it like it's just trying to convince people of our truth. And most people don't want to be convinced of anything. But we are not afraid of loving people, right? And most people want to be loved. See, the problem is that when we lead with love, it shuts people down. But when we lead with, uh, when we lead with truth, it shuts people down. But when we lead with love, it opens people up. So like I drink Diet Coke. And apparently, from what I understand, it's bad for you. It makes you fat even though it's diet. And it gives you cancer and you're going to die from it. If a stranger came up to me, saw me drinking a Diet Coke and said, you should not drink that. Like, you should not drink that. It's going to be, I would be like, uh, get out of my face, mister. You should not drink that. Who are you? And I really don't care what you think. But I've got a couple of friends who, when they see me drinking Diet Coke, are like, Vince, man, you shouldn't drink that. And I actually let them say it. I listen to them a little. <laughs> and it's because I know they love me, right? Like, they can say anything to me because I know that they love me. So the the issue is that Christians want to lead with truth. We want to tell people, hey, you shouldn't live that way. You shouldn't do that. And we want as quickly as possible to to tell people that they need Jesus. But when you lead with truth, it shuts people down. If you lead with love, then it opens people up. And so we need to lead with truth and then land on, I'm sorry, we need to lead with love and then land on truth. And that's what Jesus did. And if you study the life of Jesus, I think the most remarkable thing about him, maybe, is that he was the one sinless person who ever walked the face of the planet. And yet everywhere he went, the most sinful people were drawn to him like a magnet, right? We see prostitutes pouring perfume on his feet. We see Jesus go to a party and all the sinful people gather around him. Uh, One day he hung out with a woman at a well who was bouncing from bed to bed to bed, from man to man to man. Jesus was the one sinless person who ever walked the face of the planet. And yet everywhere he went, the most sinful people were drawn to him like a magnet. Why? Why did sinful people want to be around Jesus? I think it's because Jesus didn't make them feel worse. 
about themselves, right? No one wants to be around someone who makes you feel worse. Jesus didn't make them feel worse. He made them feel loved. He led with love. And, and what happened? Man, people's lives were changed. See, Jesus knew a secret that many Christians today have lost. It is love that turns a life around. The way to change a life is not by judging people, but by embracing them. It's not by pointing out their sins, but by pointing the way to hope. And if we're going to engage in our mission, if we're going to be effective in it, we need to lead with love. We need to lead with love and then land on truth. And when we do this, we are following the example of Jesus. We see it time and time again uh, in Jesus' life. So here's one example. Uh, in Luke chapter 19, Jesus enters a town called Jericho. And the most hated, sinful man in Jericho was Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was hated not just because in his position as tax collector, he would uh, take some extra money from the locals to line his own pockets, but even more, much more, because he was a Jewish man who had sided with the Romans. At that time, Roman soldiers would come and they would enter a new town. They would put up a statue of Caesar and they would demand everyone in the town to come and to worship at the statue of Caesar. And anyone who refused would be massacred. Like, there are accounts of history of the Roman army coming into a town and slaughtering, impaling on poles, 30 to 40,000 men, women, and little children, like in a day. Once they established their authority in a town, Rome would tax the people. An astronomical amount of money was required to fund Rome's army. Historians estimate that around the time of Jesus, a Jewish family might pay up to 90% of their, of their income in taxes to Rome. And so uh, Zacchaeus, and, and what you were paying was, you were paying for the Roman army to go to the next town to, to annihilate more faithful Jews. And Zacchaeus, who was Jewish, had taken the Roman side, was working for them, collecting taxes so more faithful Jews could be killed. Jesus comes into town. Does he condemn Zacchaeus? I mean, if anyone deserved to be condemned by Jesus, it was Zacchaeus. No, he doesn't. Jesus says in Luke chapter 19, verse 5, Zacchaeus Come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Jesus leads with love. He establishes a relationship. He has lunch. And what happens? Uh, verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Zacchaeus' life was changed. See, people need truth and people need love. We have truth and we have love. And we have to follow Jesus' example and lead with love. Because it's love that builds a relationship. It's love that opens a person's ears to what you have to say. It's love that opens their heart to God's message. And it's love that leads people to repentance. That's actually what the Bible teaches, that love is what leads to life change. So here's one example. Check out uh, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. It says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. So it's God's grace that offers salvation, right? And then it says, it. What's it? 
grace of God. The grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. It's God's grace, God's unconditional love that leads us to repentance and life change. And that's why Jesus led with love. I mean, you study Jesus' life and you just don't see him condemning people. Except for the Pharisees who were religious people who refused to lead with love. But man, whenever Jesus met a person who was caught in their sin, he always led with love. He led with love and then he graciously spoke truth and it turned people's lives around. A couple years ago, I, I co-led a session at a conference with a pastor named Cal Jernigan. And the format was uh, Cal spoke for 20 minutes, I spoke for 20 minutes, and then there would be a 20-minute question and answer time. So Cal went up and uh, the, the topic of the seminar was preaching to the unconvinced. Preaching to the unconvinced. Cal uh, went up and he explained to the people who were there, uh, he said, people who don't believe in Jesus need to know that you like them before they will listen to anything you have to say. They need to know that you like them. He explained that in most churches, when you first show up, basically you're asked to behave. Like if you're going to hang out here with us, you need to behave like we do. And then you're asked to believe. And if you do all that, then you can belong. And he said at his church, they've reversed it. It's like, first you belong. When you walk in, you're going to be embraced and, and accepted and befriended, no matter like who you are, no matter how you behave. He said, why would we expect non-Christians to act like Christians? And then he said, uh, then you belong immediately. And then we hope you'll believe. And only after you believe would we assume that you would ever start behaving. He said to the, to the people, he said, you have to let people who don't believe know that you like them and you need to embrace them while they're still messy and not behaving. Then it was my turn. And I uh, said, man, if we want to reach the unconvinced, you need to create a culture of grace in your church. You need to lead with love. Talk about leading with love. And then it was the question and answer time. And so I sat back down. Cal went up to the podium with a microphone and answered every single question people asked. Supposed to be both of us, it was just him, fine with me, he's doing great, I'm just listening. And then this guy in the back raised his hand and uh, stood up. And just to give you a picture of what he looked like, he was big and he was wearing a trucker hat and his face was red, like it was red. And he, he stood up and he went, <sighs> and then he yelled, he didn't ask, he yelled. You know what? I hear you two talking about how you two like sinners. And you two love sinners. But what I want to know is, when do you call sin, sin? When do you two tell sinners that they're sinners? And when do you talk about hell? So Cal is at the microphone. And he said, that is a great question. And Vince has a great answer for you. And he sat down, and I was like, you And so I, I went up, and I prayed. <laughs> God, give me a good answer here. I said, I said sir, uh, I appreciate your question. I, I would encourage you, instead of making assumptions, to go to our website, to listen to our messages. They're all there, sermons. And you tell me if I preach about sin and hell. 
you don't have to go back very far. Just listen to last week's message and tell me if I preached about sin and hell. And you'll see that I do. So you ask me a question. Let me ask you a question. Um, when you read the Gospels, where do you see Jesus going up and calling sinners sinners? Where does that happen? Like, don't we see Jesus always leading with love? Don't we see him establishing a relationship, showing a person that he cared, and then graciously helping that person to see where they need to change? And, and sir, don't we want to follow the example of Jesus? And I said, I think I went too far. I said, um, I said you made an assumption about me. I'm going to make an assumption about you. Uh, so I, I bet you talk to people about sin. And I, I know I talk to people about sin. When I talk to people about sin, they, they listen to me. And my assumption about you is when you talk to people about sin, they never listen to you. And the reason they listen to me is because I lead with love. And the reason I bet no one listens to you is because you don't. And what happened was, like, everyone, and this is really, like, everyone in the room started cheering and amening and clapping and stuff. And then the guy came up and beat the crap out of me. No, he didn't. But, but I was totally afraid of it. I was like, someone needs to walk me to my car. He was really big, and his face was really red. And I'm a little bit afraid right now. I'm going to admit it. <laughs> Listen, if we're going to... If we're going to help people who don't believe in Jesus to believe in Jesus, yes, we need to, to tell them the truth. Man, we need to lead with love. I, I would say we need to lead with love for as long as possible before presenting truth. We lead with love, and then we land on truth. We need to offer grace. But let's be honest. Uh, for some reason, it seems that it's much easier for most Christians to judge people for their sins instead of loving them despite their sins. In fact, I think many Christians seem to think that it's actually their responsibility to judge people for their sins. And that they think we shouldn't really love people until they start behaving. But that's the opposite of what Jesus did. And just honestly, it's absurd right? Do, do you know why? It's because the people who we're talking about, the people who we're tempted to judge are God's kids. So do you hear the story? Uh, it, was, it was almost 20 years ago now about a boy named Sean Hornbeck. You probably did. You probably have forgotten it, but um, it was this boy who, when he was 11 years old, he disappeared. Uh, October 6, 2002, just vanished. And after his disappearance, his parents ended up quitting their job, depleting all their savings, hiring detectives on their own, searching. They devoted everything to searching for their lost son, their, their disappeared son. But to no avail, they could not find him. He was gone. Four years later, they're driving down the road. Dad's cell phone rings. He answers it. The voice on the other end says it's the local prosecutor. He says, are you sitting down? He said, I'm driving. He said, pull over, pulls over. He says, listen, um, we, we have good news. We think we found Sean. We're 95% we're sure that we have Sean. Uh, Sean's dad said, those were the sweetest words I've ever heard in my life. For four years, all I wanted was my son back, and there's a chance. 
And so uh, Sean, now 15 years old, you probably saw it on the news at the time. They're at the police station. Police cruiser rolls up, open the back door. Sean gets out, 15 years old. His family's standing there, and they just jump up in the air, and they run over, and it's this big family embrace, and they're jumping up and down, hugging each other. The parents said uh, later, they said, we wish that that embrace could have lasted forever. True story, amazing story. I'm going to tell you to you again. I'm just going to change one detail. Okay, let's just, let's just imagine this. Let's say that uh, Sean disappears, four years of searching. They're dying. They can't find their son. They get the phone call. We think we found your son, 95% sure. Uh, let's say that at that point, the prosecutor said, um, we're 95% sure. There's one problem. It turns out that Sean uh, was kidnapped four years ago. That's where he's been. And that he's become a shoplifter. In fact, that's how we have him. He was shoplifting at a store. And we arrested him, and we realized that it's Sean. How do you think Sean's parents would have responded to finding that out? Do do you think they'd say, well, then you tell Sean we don't want him back. He's shoplifting now? No chance, right? No chance. Do you think it's possible that he would have said, well, you know what? You tell Sean he can come back home but only after he learns to stop shoplifting. Like, if he can prove to us that he has truly left shoplifting behind, then he can come home, be accepted in our family. No way, right? No chance. I'm sure that what he would have said was, you bring my son home to me right now. I don't don't know why you're mentioning shoplifting. I don't care about shoplifting right now. And if you do, let me assure you that when our son comes home and receives our love and our provision, he won't shoplift anymore. And if he does, we'll deal with that later. But right now, you get my son home to me because I haven't seen my son in four years and we need our son home. So why is it okay for us to love people and offer grace even to someone who is still stuck in their sin. That's why. Right? That's why. Man, all the time, um, people will email us and call us, and they ask, hey, can, can I come to your church? Because I, and then they say, I am gay, or I smoke, or I'm divorced, or I'm an addict. Or I have people tell me all the time that there's no way God could love me because, and then they tell me about some sin they committed in the past, and sometimes it's a sin they're still committing today. And I tell them, of course you can come, and of course God loves you. And I tell them, listen, God's primary concern is not for you to stop sinning. God's not up in heaven trying to figure out how to get you to stop sinning. God's primary concern is for you to come home and experience his love. What you need to do is just experience his love. And if you really experience his love, there's going to be things that right now you think you need to do that you will realize you don't need to do anymore. There's going to be things that you want that you won't want. Your whole life will change. But right now, you just need to experience God's love. Yeah, we need to speak the truth, but we lead with love. But what we've tried to do at our church in Las Vegas is establish a culture of grace. Here's what's important. It's a culture of grace based on the unconditional love of God and a trust in the saving power of Jesus and in the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. I realize the fear. We're, We're afraid that people will mistake grace for an acceptance of their sin, or maybe even as a license to keep sinning. 
Now, if the people we're trying to reach do that, if they mistake grace for an acceptance of sin, that is a mistake on their part because they are not the same thing, right? An attitude of accepting sin says, God loves you just the way you are, and so keep doing whatever you're doing. An attitude of grace says, God loves you the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. An attitude of accepting sin says, come as you are and don't feel any need to change. An attitude of grace says, come as you are, but don't stay that way. They are different, but the reality is some people will mistake grace for an acceptance of sin. And you know what? It's worth the risk. It's worth the risk. How, How can I say that? I can say that because God is willing to take that risk. I mean, God's grace is so amazing. It's so outlandish, the whole idea of it, that people do mistake it for an acceptance of sin. That's the way it's always been. In fact, go home today and read Romans chapter 6, and what you'll discover is that 2,000 years ago, people thought that when they were offered grace, it was a license to keep sinning. And so... If God was willing to offer a grace so amazing, knowing that some people along the way would mistake it as an acceptance or a license to sin, don't we need to take that same risk? Hopefully people will never make that mistake. They're different. But we need to offer grace regardless. We lead with love and then land on truth. So you remember the people I I started uh, telling you about at the beginning of the message, the eight people who uh, were unique. The one thing they had in common is they had disdain for God, for Christians, for church. Let me tell you the rest of their stories. Remember there was Travis, the guy who moved to Las Vegas to uh, make money and became a pimp. Uh, Travis was the first person that I led to faith and baptized in Las Vegas. His wife was the second, and after they got baptized, Uh, We renewed their wedding vows. That was about 10 years ago. And last year, Travis was ordained and became a pastor. There was Katie, uh, the the woman who was prostituting herself for drug money. Uh, She gave her life to Christ. Her life has changed. There was Dallas, the guy who worked at GE, was addicted, abusive to his family. Uh, He started coming to our church, gave his life to Christ. Probably the fastest growing Christian I have ever seen. Met. In fact, Dallas started a homeless ministry just kind of on his own, and it ended up growing, and he left his plush six-figure job at GE to lead the homeless ministry full-time at no salary. Uh, there was Paul, who was the reincarnationist, and uh, Mary, the pro-choice activist, and Alexis, the lesbian. They, they all gave their lives to, to Jesus as their Savior and their Lord, all baptized uh, Michelle, the, the bisexual who agreed with her husband that she would be able to continue uh, being with other women, uh, gave her life to Christ, got baptized. She is currently in seminary to become a Christian counselor. Um, and then there was Warren, the fire-breathing, horror clown, hardcore atheist. Well, he came that day to destroy our church just like he planned. And he was going to stand up and disrupt the service and be abusive And when he walked in, he was surprised because he was expecting to get who are you looks and what are you doing here. But everyone was so welcoming and embraced him and and they weren't dressed up. And then he went and sat in the middle of the auditorium to to unleash his hatred. And before the service started, there was funny stuff on the screen that was making him laugh. And then the band came out 
And like, it was like, here we go. And, and they kind of like, they kind of rocked. It was like, this isn't bad. Like I can relate to this music. And, and then um, this church did a top 10 list and it was actually kind of funny. And the service continued. And then the service ended. We said, see you next week. And Warren went, oh, I forgot to do my thing. Like he got so engaged in the service, he forgot to disrupt it. So he came back the next week. And then he came back the next week. And the week after that, and the week after that, and, and then I met Warren, and then I discovered that Warren was going to all three of our identical services. And I said, hey, Warren, you've noticed that they're all the same, right? Like you're, you're realizing you're just going to repeat of the same service. And he said, I quote, yeah, man, um, I know, but uh, I just can't get enough of Jesus. And then he gave his life to Jesus. And then Warren got baptized. We um, often hand people a microphone, ask them to share their story before they got baptized. Hand Warren the microphone. And Warren said this. He went, I have a confession to make. I didn't come here for this. And he pointed at the, the water and the baptistry. He said, I came here because I hated you. And, and I thought I was stronger than you. And I thought I could destroy you. And I could ruin this church. But something happened to me here. And I can't explain it, but I've learned that God loves me, and I just want more of his love. And he just started sobbing like he couldn't talk, and so we took the microphone away, and we baptized him. And a few months later, uh, Warren's birthday was coming up, and he got permission from me. And then he told all of his atheist and Satanist friends who work at the horror show and the freak show with him that um, he was having a birthday party at our church Right after we do a Monday night service because so many people in Las Vegas work weekends, immediately following our Monday night service, he said, don't bring a present. The present is come one hour early for the party and come to the church service, and then we'll have the party. But the gift I want from you is to go to my church. About 40 of Warren's, like, Satanist and atheist friends from his horror show and his freak show came to our church. It was the weirdest-looking church crowd in the history of church crowds. I wish you could. I should have taken pictures. And, uh, and two of them, Wes and Lily, who were living together at the time, came back the next week and the week after that and the week after that. And a few months later, they went and they got married on Saturday because they knew that they shouldn't be living together. They always knew it. And then on Sunday, they gave their lives to Jesus and got baptized. After their baptism, I was walking down a hallway with Warren and I said, dude, you understand how cool this is, right? Like... If you hadn't thrown that birthday party, they never would have come. They, 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 I don't, I, they probably never would have given their lives to Jesus. They wouldn't be going to heaven right now. And Warren looked me in the eye and he said, Vince, I'm just getting started. And it's time for us to get started. And if you believe in Jesus, your mission is to help other people believe in Jesus. And the only way we can be effective in that is to lead with love. And whew, that should be a huge relief, right? Like, oh, because you can love people, right? You might not be the greatest at communicating, and, but you can love people. And people want to be loved. People want to be loved. And so you can engage in your life's mission and you can be effective in it. Lead with love. Let's pray for that right now. Let's pray.
God, what a, what a cool thing that I get to be here again uh, after, I think, 27 years. And, uh, and what, a, what an amazing thing to see uh, all the amazing things that have happened in this church in those years and um, how this church has grown and changed and adapted and uh, is doing such great ministry in this city that I care about. Thank you for, for today, for my getting to be here. God, the, the mission that you've given this church and to every single person in this room is to help people believe in Jesus. And God, that's intimidating for a lot of us. The statistics say that 95% of Christians will never share their faith, will never engage in the mission that they were given by Jesus. But we can do this because it's not just convincing people of our truth. We need to lead with love. We need to build relationship. We need to have a culture of grace, not only in our church, but in our lives, in our homes, create one at our workplaces, in our schools. And then after we've loved, and we get to land on truth. And it is so much easier to share truth after you've led with love. So God, thank you for the opportunity we have to change the world with your love. Thank you for giving us a mission that is worth living for, worth dying for. And we thank you for Jesus who lived for us and who died for us. We pray all these things in his name. Amen. Sometimes we forget that the transforming love of Jesus is a tool for us to use to transform the world around us kind of put it in our heart we keep it in our box we keep it to ourselves maybe it makes us spiritually kind of warm and fuzzy it takes us back to a moment when we first fell in love with God but it was given to us so that we would give it away whether it's whether whether it's where we live whether it's where we work whether it's where we play God's love was extended to all of us. And as we have gotten to know God's love, we're given the responsibility to share it with others. We want this church to be a place of grace. We agree with that. But the challenge is, do you want to be an active part of taking that grace to others? I mean, how great is this gift if we won't share it? How powerful is God's love if we don't extend it? How awesome is God's gift through his son Jesus to a world that doesn't know him if those who do keep it to themselves? If you're new with FIRST, in just a moment what's going to happen is we're going to sing some songs and people are going to respond in worship. Some of us may respond for the first time just even wrestling with what it means to give our life to Christ. And we need you to know that we believe as a church that it's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that provided our forgiveness of sins, our life everlasting. It's because of that sacrifice of love that our life is now surrendered and we are a proponent towards this movement of love through us and in us to change the world around us. And we want to invite you to be a part of that. For some of us today, we'll, when the music begins to play, we'll begin to walk to these benches in the front and we'll stop to pray for a moment and think about 
What has God stirred up in us today? Maybe the business of work, maybe the business of life, maybe the, the list of the holidays has consumed you so much that, frankly, you don't have any love for anybody that's goofing up your coupons, standing in line, taking too long to shop out, stealing your parking spot. Friends, don't let the holidays consume you. Would you let the love of Christ permeate every portion of your life? from the way that you think and you act and you speak so that we can be the church where we live, work, and play. Many of us will go to these tables where there's bread and juice. It's an open invitation to anyone who has a relationship with Jesus Christ because we're reminded that on the night that he was betrayed, he said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. It was a foretelling of the very sacrifice of what he would do on the cross. And so as we go to these tables, for those of us that follow in the way of Jesus, what we're literally doing is we're commemorating this sacrifice and we're celebrating that the victory is ours because of Christ. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, we would encourage that you just take the moment to to reflect and think about how life might be different if you did. But if you, if you do believe in that sacrifice, we invite you to come to the table. And then, of course, we have our give and respond boxes. There are four in the room. Uh, we use them to take the connect card that's in front of you, and maybe there's a decision that needs to be made. Maybe there's a prayer request that needs to be shared. And, and you put that connect card in that box, and our staff follows up, and we spend some time praying over it during the week we'll meet with you. We'll help take this journey with you. And many of us will give of our tithes and offerings. Either giving them through the, the given respond boxes or using the give app. Because we believe that all that we have and all that we are is from God. And we are partnering with God to transform this world. To provide ministry and relationships and opportunities to bring justice in areas where there's brokenness and hurt. Friends, this is our chance to respond.